Hey, welcome to 412 Connections. My name is Larry Grayway. I'm here with Heather Kroos, who founded this podcast a couple years ago, and it used to be called Mylar, My Look at Recovery. And we've kind of switched it up this year. We used 412 because it says this, it says a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two stand back to back and can conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And we're here to talk about how mental health um, affects our lives and how we can recover and how we need each other as a part of that recovery process. And so again, I'm here with Heather and she's gonna get us kicked off today. Welcome back. Today we are joined by a very special guest who apparently wants to be known as the High Archbishop, Brandon Nichols of Mercy Hill Church in Marietta, Georgia. I asked you how you wanted to be introduced. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, and L- Larry said bishop, and then it just got out of control from there. I Hey, I look up to Brandon. He's in charge <laughs> of me. So, no, we're glad to have Brandon here. I've known him for several years, and he's the lead pastor of Mercy Hill. Yep. Founding pastor. That's right. So, and good friend. So we're glad to have him on the podcast today. I'm really, really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Welcome, Brandon. Today is going to be an interesting topic. And one that I know from personal experience and from people that I've talked to is a little bit of a touchy subject for a lot of people in recovery because the church hasn't always been an openly welcome place right. to people with mental health. And I know that things are changing. And I, I recognize because of the weird guy, Larry, that having a strong spiritual connection is important to your overall health. And while I recognize and fully am respectful of any religion, or even non-religion, there there is a connection there that does help having, even if it's just a higher power, they, they talk about that in all the anonymous groups. And so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. What do you think the connection is? Yeah, I mean, I think for Christian it go, Christians, it goes back to the very beginning, right? And so Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2, uh, God creates everything that is, including people, uh, and so we just believe fundamentally that God has a design for people. Uh, and because of that, people are designed to function a different way. Uh, so the ground level in Scripture is teaching is, is that we are designed, created, specially by God, to function in a relationship with Him. And so I think that's probably why that spiritual component of recovery or health is so vital is because it's getting back to something very foundational about who we are, that we were created by God to know him, to be connected with him. And um, it's hard to make sense out of our lives without that connection. We are operating outside of the way that we were designed to operate. You want to add anything as you are a pastor? No, I think, I think that's a great answer. And, and 
to go back to just Brandon to give you a little bit of where we are with this season and we switched the name of the podcast to 412 Connections based on Ecclesiastes 412 talking about the three braided cord that's not easily broken and how it's all intertwined mm-hmm. all these things are intertwined together so we've we've covered a lot of different topics and how it relates to our mental health and I love your answer I love that you go back to our relationship our core relationship our desire to be connected to God and so I think that's that's huge right um, so Heather I want to ask you this because you're bringing this up and I know why you asked Brandon to be here and for your experience with the church somebody that has struggled with mental health issues has had some some time with mental illness because there's a difference between mental health and mental illness what has been some of the difficult points for you in the church that we as pastors because Brian and I both being pastors need to address because I think that's really where you're wanting to go with some of this yeah that's a great question so I want to acknowledge before I dive too deep into this that things have changed, although not as much as I would have hoped in the last 30 years, 40 years. But things have gotten better, and the church seems to, at least some churches, seem to be more open to talking about mental health and accepting people that are different. Mm-hmm. But I have experienced a lot of trauma, and I do not use that term loosely, through the church. And a lot of that comes down to not feeling like I was welcome, Mm. like I didn't belong, having them try to pray demons out of me because I was struggling, and they didn't recognize that. We're real happy together, so if you guys could just refrain from that, I'd appreciate it. But I think one of the big things is, and Brandon, you heard the speech that I did in Cleveland. Right. And, or at least a version of the speech, because they're never the same. Where I, I talked about going to a church many years ago, almost 13 years ago now, with fresh cuts on my arm because I was struggling and I reached out because I was trying to get help and got turned away and was told I was no longer welcome. Right. And whereas you you fast forward and I found Larry and his wife Jennifer who's also a pastor and they never judged me, they never condemned me. They didn't condone it, but they didn't reject me for it either and just made sure they gave me what I needed to do, clean it up and we they just accepted it. And so to answer your question, I think that's the biggest thing a pastor can do is just accept people where they're at. Okay. And Brandon, this may be more, it's going to be more directed towards you in this. Because I know Heather's story. I know other people's story. There's been, for her growing up and going to the church, even over the years as an adult, coming in with the struggles that she has inner mental health, um, whether that comes out in small ticks when she gets overwhelmed because she has sensory issues or other things like that. As pastors and as we work with our teams, 
how do you see us helping get the people that we have at our front doors, the people in our church, and even ourselves as pastors, to recognize that some people, it may not be a spiritual issue like being held down and prayed demons out, right. but that there is something else going on there, like a sensory issue, which sensory is a big thing. And over the last few years, our churches have gotten louder, brighter mm-hmm. lights, things like that, where somebody that is neurodivergent or struggles with sensory issues, that's an overwhelming environment. Right. How do we bridge that gap to help somebody that's in that, like Heather, who really wants help, but often feels like, well, I don't fit into this and am kind of pushed aside? Yeah, I mean... I- <laughs> My first thought would be part of the pastoral responsibility, pastoring a church, is the slow drip of the gospel constantly into the hearts of our people. And hopefully over time, uh, that is uh, helping to spiritually form them in a way uh, that's radically different from the culture. Um, that's, that's even part of this issue, right? Is that our people in our churches are more formed by cultural issues uh, than they often are the scripture um and so uh heather's experience like heather your experience of someone trying to do an exorcist on you seems to be more culturally informed than it is scripturally informed um and then why we'll go back to the gospel so over time uh because when we start talking about then a gospel informed church culture we get to Romans 15, and uh, Paul says, we welcome you as we were welcomed by Christ. Mm-hmm. And how was I welcomed by Jesus? Uh, sacrificially, uh, graciously, mercifully, with kindness, uh, unconditionally. And you start putting that together, and you go, oh, so the more I can grasp what Jesus has done for me, the more capable I am of extending those things to other people. So part of the change in our churches is the long term, right? Like just gospel drip over and over and over again that forms our hearts to create then more, or to be more welcoming people and to create more welcoming environments. Um, And then the other answer I would think for us would be just learning. I mean, doing what we're doing now, hearing other people's stories, hearing other people's perspectives, getting outside of our normal tribes, um, and and learning more about um, mental illness, mental health, but just about people in general, uh, and realizing like um, that uh, what what might come across as one way. And with our limited experience is actually something completely different. Um, and I think that's, you know, really important, um, especially for churches, us just to be open and uh, listen, 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 listen. Okay. I don't know if is that, I don't know if that's helpful or if that even answered the question. Yes. And then maybe it may be in there and I don't know, Heather, like, just some acknowledgement. I don't. I don't know if that would have helped you in your story, but, um, but I know even right now in this moment, like I, I want to say, like I hate that that happened to you, and I acknowledge that that's a shortcoming of the church, and I, mean, I hope that doesn't.
persists and that change does happen. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with the, that it starts with the culture of the churches we lead. Right. And it comes down from the pulpit all the way out. And I think where, where I was trying to drill in on it, and you, you mentioned with the learning and those things, helping as much as our people understand the gospel and acceptance and loving everybody that's in there. It's one of the first things when I've had people, hey, let's talk about if, this, if a person comes into our church that maybe looks, acts, or seems a little bit different, what, how are you going to respond? What are your first... What are your first response to that? But where I really want to drill in to help us as pastors and churches is, and it, it goes a lot with your experience and your experience that I've had with Heather, and I'm pointing at Heather because we don't have video here, but also with other people in our church particularly, is the patience of people like getting to know their story, mm-hmm. to get beyond... Because a lot of times on a Sunday morning gathering when people are coming in, especially with somebody that, like Heather, that struggles in crowds. So um, I, Heather, the first few times she came to our church, she came in and stayed about halfway through the music portion of our worship service and they would run out the door before anybody could talk to her. Right. And so that was a pattern. Now I had built relationship with her before she started coming. But for somebody, if she didn't have that relationship, for your greeters, for the people that are kind of that front line of your church, to help them understand how do we break through those barriers and understand that, hey, maybe this is somebody that has sensory issues, or maybe this is somebody that doesn't want to be touched or hugged, because for them, that's an overwhelming experience. And how do we, what steps do we take to make sure that when that person comes in, that our people know, it's one thing to know and have compassion. Mm-hmm. Actually, some very compassionate people overwhelm Heather. Right. Because yeah. we have a tendency to do one of two things. Either when we're, we're uncomfortable with the situation, we either stay away from it or we overwhelm it. Right. We smother it, which is kind of what happens. So I'm going to keep doing what makes you feel uncomfortable like, because are, I want you to feel comfortable. Like, like hey, no. sweet, are you okay while they're tapping you and everybody gathers in and, and all you want to do is just run the other way? I right. mean, for, for Heather, that's a very overwhelming experience. Mm-hmm. So how do we overcome that so that we, we have people that recognize those signs as much as we can and maybe learns how to interact and connect to somebody in that way. Because it's not going to be everybody that walks through our door, but there is a pretty decent-sized population that struggle with social anxiety mm-hmm. or struggle with other areas along those lines that make a church service, a church gathering, which should be the most welcoming and loving place we come to during the week, seem like one of the most overwhelming and difficult places that they can come to. Yeah. So what are some things that we can do maybe from, from your side? Is that a good question, Heather? Yes, and I, I will tell you one of the things that I've always respected about you is that you will forewarn me before you tell like tell the rest of the congregation, we're going to get up and hug each other. He tells me ahead of time so I can go outside. Right, just yeah. getting ahead of it. Yeah, yeah. But, but, that's, but that comes out of relationship. Yeah. And that's hard to do with a guest that walks through the door, even yeah. somebody that's been coming for a couple months but hasn't engaged with 
other people. And I think that's where some of your barriers have been over the years. You've been places and then you build relationship, things happen, and then there's struggles or there's struggles to just connect in the beginning because they don't understand. Yeah. So I don't know, you know, that's kind of, I think that's the struggle we have as pastors and as churches anywhere there's a gathering. See, I understand what you're saying about the relationship, but from the pulpit, you could very easily say something or have, when people come in with guests, they have uh, the red, yellow, and green that they were using during COVID. Green being, yeah, come on up in my space, I don't care. Yellow being, we need a little bit of distance, but I'll talk to you. And red is just stay away from me. And you could very easily have something like that that everybody in the church has access to, okay. whether they're a guest or somebody new or old, whatever yeah. that word is, because words are hard. <laughs> so automatically hug somebody that has green hair. No, no, no. Well, no, no that's I'm, I'm not. just going off the green Tag. here. I'm just going Tag. off the green. And well, it doesn't even have to be color-coded, but I... One of the things that bothers me across the board, wherever it is, is this us versus the mentality. Mm. And the church is the one place that that shouldn't exist, but it does. Right. Especially in larger churches. Heather, Heather, do you think it exists um, in a unique way in the church? Or do you think it, 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 it is easier to identify because it violates expectations? No, it's just human nature. Right. But it's just that the church is supposed to be a welcoming place, but in the big C church versus the little C church. Right. Has a very much us versus them mentality that has driven a lot of people away. Right. Especially with some of the things that may go against what's in the Bible, but then it also says to love everybody. You can't have love everybody and then yet exclude people because you don't like the way that they dress or that they have a different gender identity or sexual orientation right. than what you believe is acceptable because it's in the Bible. Right. And a lot of times the Bible has been twisted and used as a weapon. That's right. Especially some of the more popular scriptures that are so completely twisted out of context that to this day, I still have troubles untwisting things, and Larry can attest to that. Like It's gotten a little easier over the years, but I still have a hard time, especially with certain scriptures that have been used so much as a, a way of just keeping me down. They're weaponized. They still feel loaded. Mm-hmm. So even when you experience um, a healthy Christian community, or even when you... Uh, understand the scripture how how it intends whatever those passages are um, those negative experiences or the misuse of scripture are still still so weighty in a way or so loaded in a way that that affects you well that's true of anybody we are all form our core beliefs at a very young age mm-hmm. and so for people that have been around the church from a very young age and they get poured into with the proper in truth of what the Bible actually says versus someone that has been poured into all the negativity and and stuff. When you go against someone's core belief, they're going to buck against it Mm -hmm. because that's not what they believe. Mm -hmm. And over time, 
you can correct some of it, but it's always going to be a part of your experience. Right. And that's something, and I'll, I'll throw this out there to you, Brandon, because Heather and I have this conversation a lot. It is something that I have a few people in my church that struggle with scripture right? that have been taken out of context. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. And, and so sometimes when I know I'm going into a passage of scripture that might be one of those hot points for them, I'll, I'll because we preach through books of the Bible, right? so it's pretty easy to know where I'm going. And, you know, so... I will tell them, hey, we're going to be covering this this next week. I want you to be aware. I want you to be aware of where I'm coming at with this. Kind of like what Heather was saying, you know, where I, I would tell her, hey, we're going to, this week we're just going to have people greet one another. Let her know kind of where it's at. It's harder in a larger setting, and I have the ability to do that in our context, but it's difficult. Um, I, I want to kind of shift gears for just a moment and go back to the connection side of things because Heather you have connected in our church and you brought Brandon in for a different perspective how do you see the connection that you've built over the last five years uh, with our church it's been five six years now since you started running in and running out the door Um, that you how has that impacted your mental health journey and what would you say to us and maybe we can kind of come back on some of that on how those are connected and maybe how we can better uh, talk about mental health from the pulpit or as we lead our our people or our teams believe it or not it's actually been closer to seven has it been yeah it really has I always play a little conservative I hate being that pastor that blows numbers (laughs) up that's right like hey we had a million people here last week (laughs) We've been doing this for 14 years. Yeah, yeah, 14 minutes. But no, yeah. But to answer your question, a large part of it is because of the way that we met was so completely random. And for a long time, I would talk to you on the phone. Mm-hmm. But I, it took, I don't remember how long before I even tried to walk in the door and I don't know if you realize this. I don't even think I made it into the front door the first few times I went to your church. Mm. Uh, probably not, but that's that's okay. Yeah. And there were more than once that I would come in, and he still makes fun of me for this, but I would come <laughs> in and then turn around and run right back out to the door <laughs> because it was just too much because of my past experiences. But the reality of it is because of the relationship that I've built with you over the last seven years and with Jen over the last few years, because it took me a little longer with her, which is weird, that you guys were there for me when I lost my dad. Mm-hmm. You were there for me during COVID when the world shut down and I had just started to connect with people. Mm-hmm. You were there for me when things started to get really bad and and I was hesitant, especially with the cutting. In the beginning, I would hide it from you and I would disappear. But you guys would reach out and go, hey, I haven't seen you in a while, are you okay? And then I was like, oh, okay, well maybe it's okay to talk to him and I would start talking to you. And is because I started to build those connections, which is not something I've ever really had in my past, not the way that I do now. And you helped me to understand who God really is 
not the big bully that I was taught that he was. That was just waiting for me to mess up so he could smite me. And I'm not being facetious for once. And because of that, on the anniversary of my dad's death, when we went up to the cemetery together, you guys knew before I knew that I was getting to the point where if you had left me alone, I would have found a way. And six months ago when I lost Max and was in just complete shutdown shock, I didn't, I still don't know how I ended up on your front porch and you welcomed me in and you just sat me down and you didn't say anything. You waited for me and you let me guide the process, but because of that, I've been able to get through it and it's been almost a year and a half, over a year and a half since the last time I cut. And it's because of that, because of that relationship that I have and the connections that I've built and these weird people I meet at coffee shops <laughs> that have really impacted and helped me get to where I am, not just with my mental health, but with what I'm trying to do and truly feel like I found the purpose that God created me for. Although I'm still kind of trying to avoid it. So, Heather, this makes me want to ask the question to you uh, that you asked me to start with. Do you see a connection between your spiritual connection with God, community of faith, and your mental well-being, your mental health? Oh, yeah, definitely. When I first started talking to Larry, I, I had a very just angry view of God. I wanted nothing to do with him. And it's never that I doubted his existence, but I had so much anger and resentment because of all the crap in my life that I had been through. And I felt like, well, why couldn't God have stopped that? Mm -hmm. And I felt so disconnected from the rest of the world. But it was really through the church that I started building those connections. Because even though I was a member of Toastmasters and I slowly started to meet people through that, they, and for one year, I was really getting poured into, but when they stopped pouring into me and that thing started falling apart, the church was there to build me back up and mm -hmm. keep me afloat. And I truly believe that God is, he's always there and he's waiting for us. He's not this big bully. He's not this angry God that it's so many people try to paint him as. He is the perfect loving father, which is hard for people to realize truly comprehend and understand or the sacrifice that Jesus made and the pain that he went through it's if you really stop and think about it you which I have a tendency to overthink maybe a little yeah in the Grand Canyon is <laughs> a small crack in the desert somewhere <laughs> but it's because of that, that connection that I have to God that I, I know that that's what helped me overcome the urge to cut, and it's what's helping me get past some of the suicidal I words are hard to pronounce. That's why I make him say the Bible verse, because I still can't say the book name. Ecclesiastes. Yeah, yeah. like I said, elasticities. Yeah. <laughs> elasticities. <laughs> Ecclesiastes is a tough one. It is a tough one. It is a tough one. I... Um, I wonder if that's what makes church hurt so devastating is because it not just violates expectations, but it 
it tells something false about who God is. And since we were created to function in this relationship with God, and that's incredibly devastating, right? To have um, a false belief or false understanding of who God is, but yet also feel the pull and know you need to know him in some way. Yeah, uh, yeah I imagine that's incredibly devastating. I truly believe it takes a lot more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. Mm. Well, something we've done as a church, and the more I talk to different people, the more I talk to different pastors, and this is something I've wrestled with, when you go back to the, you know, Heather and I aren't that far apart in age, you're a little bit younger, um, not by much. Just a little bit, man. A little I'm bit. catching we're, up. We're all in, all in that similar... But growing up in the really the 80s and 90s, you know, church at that point, if it, at least in my experience, was very much a who's in and who's out. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't do this, you don't do that, you don't date this person, you don't date that person, you don't go here, you don't go, you, all those things. And we had a culture of church that was about you're either in or out. Mm-hmm. And when you read the Gospels, Jesus never drew that line in the same way we do. He did tell us to go and sin no more and to move towards God. He didn't excuse the sin, but he also didn't berate us. If you look at the people that he interacted with, here's the thing. As a church, we've said you're either in or you're out. But what Jesus said is, look, there's room for everybody at my table. I want you to come where you're at to my table. Our job as believers is to help move people from where they're at to a closer relationship with God. Right. And not to tell them whether they're in or out, not to tell them whether they're saved or not saved. That's really not even our job. But it's to move them towards relationship with God, back to that place of the Garden of Eden, mm-hmm. back to the place where we walk in relationship with God. And that's a that's a lifetime process right and we're all going to be at a different place on that process and when we get to understand that we can have patience with somebody that like Heather that struggles with it because they've always felt like there's a wall between her and God and we built this wall the church built it not that different than what the Pharisees that Jesus came up against was they built a wall not all Pharisees and Jesus didn't hate the Pharisees he just wanted them to tear down the wall and actually do the things that they they said they, you know, follow the wall. Yeah. And we got to stop building the wall and help our people to understand that our job isn't to tell people whether they're right or wrong, whether they're saved or they're not. Our job is to love them where they're at and move them towards relationship with God. Yeah. There's room at the table. There's room at the table for everyone, but we got to help them move that direction. I don't know. You may or may not disagree or agree with that or at least... The, the, the explanation of it. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree. I, I think that's one of the things that's so befuddling about Jesus is the picture in the Gospels. He is incredibly gracious, incredibly merciful. The most vulnerable people flock to him. Outcasts flock to him. There's something magnetic about him with people who don't feel like they measure up. And at the same time, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, he is not lowering the bar for anybody. Um, 
or, or even the way he interacts with the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. He's not lowering the bar for anybody, but but he is pressing in on the heart mm-hmm. uh, and pointing out. I mean, even I mean, the story of the prodigal son, right? One's rebellious, one's self righteous, and, and the self righteous one is the one that doesn't have a relationship with the father at the end of that story. Yeah, uh, and Jesus is powerfully saying, "Man, it is not." Your obedience that earns your way into the kingdom, then it is your humility. Like, are you ready to say, I need to be saved? Like, yeah. I need your grace. I need your mercy. And, um, and I think that is similar to what you shared, probably what was missing in some major ways in my church experience growing up, being a part of church, is we had this in and out and realize that heart of the story um, which is no 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 we we all have to say we're not good enough (laughs) that's where this starts we all have to say we've fallen short that's where this starts we're all in the same boat and whether my hangups are just like yours or not or mine are culturally acceptable and yours aren't that doesn't really matter then we all come and go man I, I need grace I, I need Jesus. I need you for to do for me what I can never do for myself. And man, when we lose that, it gets really twisted and inward and judgmental and um, become a place of condemnation. And, and all of that, man, is just self-justification. Right? It's me trying to prove uh, that I'm worthy of God's love. And the easiest way to do that is to point out who's not. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, it's interesting. I'm not a Bible scholar. Yeah. I don't play one on TV. Me either. That's why that's why Larry's here. He's All helping right. us with Bible. No. What's a Bible? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't remember exactly where it's I know it's in the New Testament. And I know it's in one of the first four books of the New Testament. Okay. Because Jesus we're, was still like on earth. Right. We're, we're narrowing it down. All right. But it's the after the storm when Peter runs out. Of the boat, yeah. And uh, he, at first, he just he has his eyes on Jesus, and he, he doesn't really think. He just jumps in and goes after it, and then he stops and realizes what he did, and he starts to stink, and he freaks out. And Jesus is like, "Hey, what what's going on, dude?" And sometimes I think that the church forgets that. Like right. sometimes you you are just really struggling, but you reach out and you're running towards it, and if they would just say, like be there and hold out a hand instead of being the ones going ahead yeah no you shouldn't have done that what were you thinking right you don't belong here which is why there was a sermon you just did and you were and it goes back to those filters mm-hmm. and i don't even remember i know it was in first corinthians because that's what we're going through right now yeah and I know your heart, and I know who you are, and if it had been anybody else and I didn't have that relationship, I would have been in a much different place. But when you were talking about how often the church rejects people, and and you were saying it in a very sarcastic way, but the sarcasm didn't pick up, and then you were arguing against it like in a less sarcastic tone, or at least I'm pretty sure it wasn't. <laughs> But the, the problem is because of the core beliefs that I have that, I, that I'm still struggling to change. Yeah. The, that you don't belong here 
you're not welcome here has been rattling around in my head since then, even though I know that it's not true. And it is so damaging and frustrating that if there were more churches that could acknowledge and accept that a lot of us feel like that in society and the church, we just need a place where we can feel welcome, where we can feel loved, where we can learn about who God really is, who Jesus really is, without getting beat upside the head with a Bible. We're held down so that we don't hurt ourselves. So, you know, they'll just do it for you. But hey, that's that's fun. <laughs> it's a challenge. Right. Look, it's a challenge. And, and that's where I was going earlier and to bring that around because the connection is there. We've seen the connection. Really what this was about is that connection that's helped Heather over the last few years and helped other people. I've known you for a long time, Brandon. I think you do a great job. Uh, but there's a challenge within the church, and it's it can start here, but it's where our leaders are. It's where the people in our church are to help them understand how to love everybody that walks through the door. And whether we agree with lifestyle, whether we agree with anything, if they're there, they're there because they're looking. Right. They're searching. They want something. Now we do get people in. There's spiritual battle. We do get people in that will will come in just specifically to try and mess with with the church and cause problems. That's a whole different ball game. But for the majority of the people that walk through our front door, if they walk through our front door or if a friend brings them or whatever that may be, if they look different, act different, dress different, do they still feel welcome at the table? Right. Do they still feel welcomed? by us representing Jesus in our churches. And are we mindful of that? So I have a question for both of you based off of something you just said. Because even if the person coming through the door is intentionally calling in to cause problems, instigate issues, wouldn't Jesus still have accepted them and and tried to like treat them with like respect, maybe not kindness, but at least try to show them his love. And then if, because quite honestly, this is one of the things that has always bugged me about the church, Big C Church. They can't save anybody. Right. You're not, you're not going to, that. that's not what we're on this earth to do. It takes literally an act of God for someone to find God. And you can kind of help show them who that is. And, and again, it goes back to connecting that to your mental health. Because without God, without some higher power, you are always going to be struggling. But you want to have a higher power that is going to accept you and love you and truly want to help you, which is what God does. Right. And I don't know enough about other religions, but to be able to say, but I do know that most of them are based off of what you do. Mm-hmm. Whereas God just accepts you for who you are. And there are even some sects that are in the Christian church that make me question whether they really are because they, they seem to teach that and they openly reject anybody with any type of disability. Mm-hmm. And I just I want to see a, a way for us to change that for the church to be at the forefront of getting rid of the us versus them mentality. Mm-hmm. That is so prevalent and so damaging across the board. 
and connected, not just to our mental health, but back to God. But I could be wrong, because I'm not a Bible scholar. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. <clears throat> I, you know, and to go back to your original question, um, when you talk about, when I'm talking about somebody coming in that's intentionally trying to disrupt and cause harm in the church. And even Jesus was very abrupt about some things where he said, look, get back. Even to his own disciples when they said things that they shouldn't have. And what I'm talking about is somebody that is coming in intentionally to cause harm. Gotcha. And not somebody that is maybe a disruption for other reasons, but intentionally coming into harm. Right. And I mean, to the point where I've seen and know of stories of people coming in with knives and guns and things like that, trying to harm people or in the middle of messages, getting up and yelling things, things like that. Yes, I'm going to make sure they exit properly. And that's a different story. Now, a conversation with them later, maybe, you know, depending on what they're doing, if they're coming in armed, that's a whole different conversation. But if it's somebody that's coming in just for a disruption, that point, maybe they're angry or hate the church, whatever that is, that's a whole different conversation than somebody that's struggling and a disruption maybe in another way. It's weird to me because we moved here when I, just before I started eighth grade and Pretty much by the time I was in high school, we'd stopped going to the church. But I still remember our youth group, and they were constantly throwing out that example. If someone were to come in here with a knife <laughs> or a gun and we're going to try to kill everybody, would you stand in the way? And he would tell everybody, no, you wouldn't, but I always would because that's just who I am. And it's always bothered me that people automatically assume that nobody would be willing to do that sacrifice. And I get that the illustration was to show what Jesus did for us, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry, it was a weird segue, but you brought it up. Well, look, I want to I circle this back around because we're almost out of time. Connections are important. We've talked about that. Right. The connection to our spiritual life, just like our physical life, um, all of these things are connected together. It's why community is so important. That's right. Um, and that's why church is an anchor point for, for my life. And, I, you know, we've always talked about this, even though this podcast wasn't explicitly from to come from a Christian perspective. It's always been an anchor point in my life. But connection is what drives and helps not drives, but helps support our mental health, because when we're in community and we're connected to people, even though we struggle there are people there that know how to help us. And even if they don't know how to, that will be there to support us. And the one thing I want to put out there and I, that we haven't really talked about a lot, and it's a conversation maybe for another time, um, we build enough relationship with Heather that when she was struggling, um, one thing that I've learned in working with people that are struggling in this way is that I don't have to fix anything. I just need to be present and to show love and support. That's one of the things we teach people as much as we can. I've said it from the pulpit. 
I've said it from other places, we're not here to fix anybody. We're here to love people right where they are and connect them to Jesus. And when somebody's going through a mental health crisis or even overloaded by stimulus, that's one thing that I think as pastors we really got to be conscious of in our services is the stimulus. Um, But when we have people that are overloaded, sometimes the best thing that we can do is just to sit with them. There are times, and I'm going to use Heather as a story because there's other examples, but she knows and we've talked about this a lot. There are times when Heather has been angry with me when she when I know she's not in a right place because she's overloaded and not able to think clearly, that she will try and walk away from me like I'm going to walk to like you know Colorado or wherever, and all I do is just walk with her, and she and she'll admit this walking down the sidewalk and say, "Well, you need to go out like this is a public sidewalk. I can walk wherever <laughs> I want to," and walk with her to the point that we get to the other side of the situation. He's kind of a jerk. Is, you, is that a good solution for you, Heather? Do you uh, you like that one? Sometimes. Sometimes. More than others. Sometimes I want to smack yeah. him or push him off the curb. You've tried. But here's, but here's the point in this. If we're walking in community together, then... And we trust God in this and God puts the right, because not everybody in our community is the one that we're going to go to in those difficult times because not everybody in our community is capable of doing that. Right. Which is conversations that we've had. Um, But when we've got the right people, and I believe that God puts those right people around us, that will sit with us. You know, Job's friend, if you go back to the story of Job, Job's friends were the best thing he ever had until they opened their mouths. (laughs) They did everything right until they opened their mouths. Right. Because they just sat with him and loved him where he was. I think this is what we should do for the next podcast. Just sit, sit. and record silence. <laughs> no one's saying a word. Oh, that's awesome. I think you're right. And I think it comes back to a problem that pastors often have, Larry, is we just don't know our own limits. Yeah. Like We think we can save people. Heather said that earlier. Or it's our responsibility to fix it. And, and really, this issue and a lot of other issues, the best thing that I can do, that you can do, pastoring a church, is fully recognize my own limits. Mm-hmm. Not a mental health professional. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a. Uh, our, our kids director um, has two kids with special needs, um, and is very involved in that community. Right. I, that's not me. Like mm-hmm. I have to defer to her. I don't have the perfect words for every situation, um, and um, and that I think that's part of sometimes what gets us in trouble is not recognizing our own limits and going, you know what, I I don't know what to say, but I can sit, or I don't know how to respond to sensory overload, but I can listen to someone who does. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know how how to help in this mental health issue. But but I can I can listen to somebody who does, or I can get you to somebody that that does. And um, and, um, I I know for me, one one of the things maybe that I'm still trying to learn uh, because I do think I'm pretty smart often, and that I can (laughs) figure things out. Um, But just that man, God's God is without limits in every single way. I'm not, and I'm not anywhere close to that. And it is a disservice to my church and to our community when I lead like I'm limitless. 
Well, we do need to wrap this up. There are two things that are rattling around in my head that I want to put out there. One, even though it talks about a three-braided cord, I really believe our health is more than three braids. Yeah. Or three cords that braid anyway. But in this context, I really believe that physical health, mental health, and spiritual health all intertwine and weave together to create the overall health. And there, there's other parts of it too. But the other thing is, and it's based off of what you both said, is people aren't looking for perfection. They're looking for your presence. Mm-hmm. So if you can just, especially someone that is struggling and acknowledge, I love that you acknowledge that you don't know everything because a lot of pastors and a lot of caretakers and a lot of people in authoritative positions feel threatened by acknowledging that they don't know everything. And it's really frustrating because there are certain things, if you don't have the lived experience, you don't know what it feels like. I will never know what it feels like to give birth to a child. Well, neither will you two, but for different reasons. Right. And if you've never lived with suicidal thoughts, you won't understand that. And if you have never lived through an actual attempt because there is a difference, you won't understand that. And I hope if you don't, you never do. And acknowledge that with the person and just sometimes, like he said, sometimes all we really need is for someone to be there with us right? so that we know that we're not alone. Because even though God is always with us, sometimes it's really hard to feel that, especially when you're really just struggling and feel disconnected from everybody and everything. So as we wrap up, is there anything either one of you gentlemen would like to share? I can't believe I just called you gentlemen. Brandon, you got anything? No, I don't think so. Uh other than I really enjoyed it. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, man, this this is great. Um, I love the conversation. It's a bigger conversation than we can cover right. in in an hour. But I just I want to encourage everybody to be mindful of people around them and and to to love on each other. So. Well, thank you both, and thank you, Brandon. We'd love to have you back if you're interested sometime. Anytime. Well, with that, we will just say have a nice day.